Aren't you just special? Yeah, that's one way to put it. Yeah, well, special has a lot of meanings, baby. Yes, and I'm definitely not the top three. Oh, you're not a Saturday night special? No, well, depends on what side of uh, you get on. Hey, <laughs> I see you on there. Oh. In a world of divisiveness, we bring you diversity. In a world of hate, we bring you love. In a world of fear, we inspire you to live. And now, laughing, loving, and alive with your hosts, Rain Thomas, Elmer J. Howard, and Dr. Kevin. Hello, hello, hello. Hey, I'm Elmer J. Howard. And today I am Dr. Kevin. <laughs> that means I must be sober junkie. <laughs> and his fans are gonna wanna know that. <laughs> oh, baby. I guess that makes me Rain Thomas. Yes, it does. And a good person it makes you, trust me. Okay, I'll trust you. So, my my fine feathered friends and partners in crime, how have you been for the last couple of weeks? Elmer, um, how did you go? Yeah, it went really well. Um, first day and a half was a little rough with some COVID stuff. Um, nothing bad, like no one got COVID, but just getting used to the procedures, making sure people are following the guidelines, and you know, being safe. Um, but overall, it went well. COVID's definitely making it more. Um, more difficult to uh, to to work on a set, um, but you know you can just work with the challenges, and uh, it costs a little more money and a little more time, but you can still do it and do it safely. And I'm excited about this one. Um, I'm actually just telling Rain I'm posting a whole bunch of more photos after we're off here to Facebook and Instagram about the first day behind the scenes uh, photos. We're still waiting on the second and third day photos to come from the photographer. And uh, we should have our first cut, uh, hopefully this coming week. So I'm getting excited uh, to finally get that together and get it out to the world. Oh, that Maddie. just breaks my heart. Well, <laughs> and, and speaking of rough, you're just about to get a rough time. But, you know, rumor has it you like it rough. So go for it, Rain. Well, I don't know if that's rumor and I don't know who told you, but uh, I will err on the side of caution and say they don't know me very well. No, no. Elmer likes it rough. I said, oh, uh, I, said I said that Rain is about to give it to you, give, give you a rough time, speaking of rough, but I heard that he likes it rough. So, yeah. <laughs> well, I'm here to tell you. I am sad that I didn't get to come and be a part of that. So Elmer, um, I'm not sure what we're gonna do next year to make it happen, but I certainly hope I am a part of it. Dr. Kevin's playing something for you. Is that the world? I'm playing, I'm playing the, the, the world's not quite smallest violin made out of selenite for you, dear. Well, you know what? That's better than the smallest one. At least I know there's some empathy there. <laughs> well, there is some empathy. Besides, I'm a size queen. So, you know, I can't have the littlest one. Anyways. Uh, -da -dum -bum -bum. Don't you like my selenite? I love it. Do you yeah. use it? Of course I use it. I, okay, let me back. Let me back <laughs> up a little bit. 
Do you use it for meditation purposes? I use it for healing work. Okay. Remember, okay. part of my practice, I do healing work. I work on people and stuff like this. And so I get them nice and quiet and meditative and I open them up to their most raw and vulnerable stuff self and i get them ready for transformation then i pick this up and i beat that out of them with it and by the that, time they finish they're all new and clean and pure and ready to go i love that part that's the part i was waiting for and you know i'm gonna act like i didn't hear it because then we become an accomplice and elmer you know how bad that can be right what what are you talking about <laughs> exactly what are you talking he about he said <laughs> So how have you been, Miss Rain? You've got some great news, some wonderful posting. You're fabulously healthy. I'm fabulously healthy. You know, there's a, you know, like the Tin Man, the little oiling of the joints, but you know, you get out and you get there, but that's better than the alternative. So I'm excited that all my blood work and everything came back very well. You know, they were concerned about my vitamin D and, um, I said, oh, whose vitamin D aren't you concerned about, right? And they're like, more about yours because a Remedex chips away at your bones. And then if you don't have vitamin D, they're chipping together. Think of two sculptors. And yeah. I thought, okay, that makes sense. So vitamin D is what I came up with or what they came up with. And we're in good shape. I'm excited. Well, from, every time I see you, you look like you're in wonderful shape, but you know, don't tell your husband I said so. Oh, um, he doesn't care. He's in, in there watching the football game. Hey, so Elmer <laughs> like, so so you like your joints oiled and Elmer likes it rough. I feel like I'm the boring one in the crowd. Boy, <laughs> how does that happen? <laughs> we won't tell. I love this that someone's texting me. Are you guys on yet? I'm like, uh, hello. So. Dr. Kevin, how was your last few weeks? Well, so, you know, one of the things that I have done, you know, because this is laughing, loving, and alive. And I've decided there's not enough mirth in the world. Okay. And, you know, every second Thursday of the month, we do inspirational, motivational stories on the Dr. Kevin show to inspire, motivate, talk about things going on. But one of the other things, so I just had that Tuesday, I just had that Thursday. So that's always uplifting. I do it with Lori, who you guys remember from being on my show. She was mm -hmm. the host, she, she hosted it for me so I could be a guest. And um, so, you know, that's always good energy, but I, I uh, signed up to be on a joke line. So I get like a joke a day and I get a, I get a few of them. They're punny, they're, you know, and they're no great masterpiece. I mean, you're not gonna see them on a stage in Las Vegas. And in fact, some of them are so corny, you know, that butter and salted, you have a full meal, but they make me laugh. And that's what it's all about, right? So that's, every day yeah. I read it, every day I, I read it. A lot of mornings I'll read it to Jeff while he's sitting there and he'll just look at me. But even as he's looking at me like, really? He's laughing. And so if you're finding that it's a really heavy, so listeners, viewers, whatever you are out there, you're something, whoever you are, if you feel like, you know, maybe starting the day with a little laughter, I've been starting my day with my workout, my Tai Chi, my laughter, and it makes a world of difference how I go into every day. I do a little bit of this and a little bit of that. So I, got a, so I got a question for you. Are you ready, guys? What do you call a camel in Alaska? Lost. <laughs> 
Lost. Yes, that's the right answer. That was one of the jokes. I'd never heard it before, but it made me laugh. Oh, dear. <laughs> that's how bad they are. But they make you laugh. They're so bad, they make you laugh. Oh, that's terrible. I know. That was just a guess. I didn't even know the joke. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, it's a... It's so it's worse, the fact that you guessed or the fact that it's terrible. Moving right along. Uh, <laughs> so anyways, so that's how I've been starting my days with lots of laughter and uh, loving today because I taught all day long. I had a master Tarot class I taught and I just, it was just a great class. You know, I've had this class for going on for almost two years. It's the same small group. We just did some incredible knock it out of the park work. People were getting things, they were coming together. We we bring in some people. We did some like we did Zoom readings today for some people for them to practice. So if you ever want a Zoom reading. I love it. You would do it for me. Yeah, on my next class. You know, I always look for volunteers. Elmer's had readings by my class before. Yeah, I know. I didn't get a call this time. Yeah, well, we called you a few things, but just none of them were, were attached to anything you could hear. Uh, <laughs> oh, dear, that's as bad as the hump camel joke. <laughs> Would you say humping a camel? Yes, <laughs> I that heard that joke. <laughs> I'm so. texting some people who, because we're all old, they can't figure out how to get on. I love that. <laughs> Don't know how to get on Facebook. Yeah, it's just like, they're like, where are you guys? All right, I know it's 7-Eleven. Yes. They, you know, when I hear that, it used to make me want a Slurpee, but I haven't had a Slurpee in like 20 years, so, oh well. Um, I've never had off. a Slurpee. Never? Wow. Never. Well, you're not going to get one now. They changed uh, some of the things around. I'll tell you that off camera because I don't want us to get any kind of cease and desist letters on our show. But speaking of our show, because you know what, our shows run a little long and we have people listening and people will listen like the day after and then they'll say, oh, can I ask that person a question? And I'm like, where, where were you on the show? Blah, blah, blah. But um, this guy, I didn't know anything about, I'm, I live in my own world and that's the world where they know me and like me. But my husband is always looking at new artists because you know, he's an art. What do you mean they kind of know me and like me? I just <laughs> better than the camel joke. <laughs> you picked up my camel joke. I love it. <laughs> so he's like, you know, listen to new artists and, he, and his music is interesting, you know, it's, it's kind of indie-ish to me. But um, he's like, you need to check out this guy. He's coming up here in Vegas. He, you know, he's picking up quite the following. And I was like, oh, what kind of music does he do? And he's like, well, he's like, listen to it for yourself. So I looked him up on Instagram and, you know, and there was, it wasn't quite rap to me because there was this huge message in it. And I was like, okay, cool. And it's like, you know, the story was Native American. And I'm like, okay, well, that has a twist. And this has been a couple of years now. And about a week later, as fate would have it, I went to um, a cannabis and culture event. One of my friends is a cannabis baker. And she asked if I could help her there. And I said, yeah, sure. You know, so I go out and place is packed and 
I hear them saying tonight's featured artist is the sober junkie. I'm like the sober junkie, that dude that my husband just told me about. And I'm like, okay, that's interesting. And sure enough, when the guy got on stage, the place went freaking berserk. I mean, it was, it, it, you couldn't miss the lyrics. I mean, his story and some of the stuff. So, I mean, I'll let him tell a story because I really don't know what I can tell it in short, but if, you have any excuses after his story, then I don't want to hear them. I don't want to hear them anyway, because I, you know, do my own thing as well. But his story far surpasses any story that I might have, at least that I'm going to tell in public. This is public? I thought it was just a uh, conversation with the three of us. Well, you know, the next day, all of a sudden I look and it's like 840 people have watched your videos. I'm like, who are those people and how much do we need to pay them off? Oh, you know, they're just their closest, nearest and dearest friends. Yeah, and, absolutely. You know, closest, nearest and dearest friends. Do you have my coffee sober? I'm waiting. Well, I, I, absolutely. <laughs> okay, thank there you. you oh my God, is that a sober junkie cup? How come I don't have one of those? Yes, I got you. Okay. Absolutely, I got okay. you. Okay. So you ladies know. and gentlemen, because, you know, we don't see people down now, but I know they like to get on later because I there was a lot of traction on Instagram with your followers. Um, oh. Someone even wanted to know if you were going to have your shirt off during the show. I said, you might want to call and ask his wife. I'm not getting into <laughs> any of that. This is this is not the Larry Flint hustler show. This right. is laughing, loving and alive. And, and so, so take your shirt off <laughs> so I can laugh. Look. Um, <laughs> now, trust me, he's in primo shape. <laughs> then I'd be loving it. And, you know, we'd all be alive. So, like, uh, what's the problem? I'd be really prude. I love it. <laughs> so, I love welcome, it. Sober awesome. Junkie. What's your side of the story? Did you hear all the stuff she was saying about you? It was just horrible. Right, right. I No, I loved it. And, and you know, it's, it's super cool because we linked up there at the show. Her husband's energy is, uh, you know, when you when you feel another one of you in the room, you know that creative vibe, that energy that a creator has, or, or you know, is it is just that I don't know. He just had this thing and his hat. See, I wear I usually wear a, a very uh, a feathered up fedora. Um, I wear eagle feathers. I'm Native American, and I have my eagle feathers, so I wear them in my fedora, and it's it's pretty elaborate. But his hat was incredible. And I, I remember we started talking and uh, that was the first time, right? That was the second time. The first time was when my girlfriend had that little cannabis cart with oh. the goods on it. That yes, was I remember the place now. went crazy. I was like, yeah. okay, I, I'm the only person in Vegas it who was doesn't outside, know who this right? guy that is. was outside. Right. right. Right, that was down on Fremont. Yeah, so Culture and Cannabis, I was their resident artist for three years. Um, and I grew with them. I blew up in Vegas because I was doing that consistency. I was showing up, I was showing up. And I'm the type of guy that when I would get off the stage, I'm not gonna take off. I go hang out with everybody. And then they would trip out because I, you know, I, I do use cannabis, but I don't drink alcohol. Um, and I wanna get to that right now. And they're like, why don't you drink? You smoke pot. And I'm like, well, I don't smoke pot with anybody. I know you might've seen me smoke pot on, backstage before I went up or whatever, but I don't do it as a social thing. I said, I use it as medicine, it's medicinal for me. 
and I've been in recovery for eight years. Um, uh, sober junkie comes from, I was addicted to heroin, meth. I was in and out of prison. I was lost, completely gone. And um, I got clean eight years ago. And it was an ultimatum for my wife, but I was tired. I was fed up, you know, in that life. And um, that's how I became sober junkie. And recovery became very important to me. And when I got clean, my wife said, use cannabis to kick. Because I was afraid of that. I'm not going to lie to y'all. That's why I didn't want to get clean. It got to the point where even not having it for a couple hours, you know what I mean? I'd start getting sick. And I was like, you're afraid of that. And cannabis helped me get through it. And I did a 12-step program and kept the cannabis hush-hush because that's not something accepted in that type of program. But using the two, uh, it, for me, it worked. I know it may not work for anybody else. I know it is a gateway for some people. And I'm, I'm really big on being open and honest about that. For me, it wasn't. For me, it really helped. And I think if I made it more of a social thing, and like a hangout type thing with all my buddies and was doing the dabs on Instagram. Cause you don't see that with me. You know, if you see me smoke, it's for an ad for my genetics company, Volcanic Genetics. Um, it's something like that. It's not, it's not about, it's more like a Bob Marley flick, you know, because it's medicine to me, just like it was to Bob. Um, I'm an indigenous man. I'm Sac and Fox, Choctaw and Cherokee. I'm a whole bunch, you know, um, but more so than anything, I'm a human. And I think that's really important. I think we need to focus on a lot of that. Like right now, the world is uh, it's going bananas. You know what I mean? And if we keep pushing this love and this laughter and this living, we're going to be all right. So, if, so, so um, I think it's, it's interesting that you had the self-awareness to be able to delineate a sacred practice that helps you center focus and achieve more self-discovery and awareness versus a practice that is set up to avoid yourself, avoid your issues and run away into. And, you know, I've worked with a lot of clients that have gone through a number of different kinds of 12-step programs. And, you know, they're the ones that it works beautifully for, it's fabulous and it's wonderful. And I think it's great. I always say, well, 13th step is actually to fly. You actually want to grow beyond, uh, you know, in, into your greater self. But for, for some people, they're like, you know, I'm a, I, I, I'm a situational alcoholic or I'm a situational drug addict or user. I'm not a, I'm not a, I can't ever stop after one. I'm not a, you know, and right. having those fine shades, I think is very, um, empowering to people that go, I'm, I don't feel like I quite fit, but everybody has made these programs the be all and end all. No, they're a pathway and you may take the whole pathway successfully, or there may be part of the pathway and your successfulness may, may veer. And as long as it is a self-awareness supported choice and, and it's getting you there, it's a beautiful thing. And the only issue I sometimes have is people that are very attached to 12-step programs can almost become didactic and, and, and judgmental yeah. um, that for somebody who, you know, you took a step off the path. I, I feel like I'm talking to one of those nutcases that are saying, then you're going to spend eternity in hell. Yeah, right. Well, one way to get away from you right. works for me. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. 
So what led you into the path of addiction, do you think? What, what, what was it that made you need to run away from you? Um, honestly, when I was younger, I tried stuff. Early 20s, I did some stuff. But when I was, I got in a car accident, a really bad car accident. And I, and I started taking, um, and it was in 2002. And, and I was still young. Though. I was 22, 23. And I started taking the Oxycontin, my doctor gave me. And they were going to do surgery. And he was like, you can either, this was literally what I was told. You can either be on this medication, which is not a big deal for the rest of your life. It's not a big deal. Or we can do surgery and you can possibly be on this medicine for the rest of your life, but you might be able to get off of it. Okay. Well, I don't want to do surgery. I'm afraid, you know, so just give it to me. And it got to a point where when it ran out, I had a buddy that had a brother that he was like, dude, Black is so much easier. You can smoke it off oil because at this point I was already smoking them. I had gotten to the point where I didn't have enough and I was running out of my script and I'm looking for them. And then you start making friends at your doctor's office with everybody. Then you, you know, it just, it just spiraled out fast. And then the heroin came in. And because when I had was even younger, a few years before had did something with a needle with a girl and, uh, in a crazy wild thing, um, I wasn't as afraid and I was, when I got tired of the foil, I, I shot it up and that was it. Once I did it the first time, it was a wrap. Um, even though I threw up all over myself, it didn't matter. It was such, it just, everything went away. The pain went away, everything went away. And I was like, well, I can do this in the morning, do a big enough shot. No one will know I'm a junkie. You know, you start going to that and yeah, man, it, uh, I started doing meth to come off of it. And then I would do that, the whole juggling thing. And then I would still get pills and do pills and I was lost, you know, but it was the accident. And I don't want to blame the doctor because it was me that made the choice to do what I did. So I'm not going to blame the doctor, but I do wish that the doctor would have did it differently. You know, well, you know, you're talking to, you're talking to somebody that this hits very, this hits very close to home that, you know, um, my, I had uh, years that I had to deal with my father who ended up being a prescription drug addict because he was over, he was over prescribed. Wasn't even his fault. And, you know, and he was doing what he was told to do. He got hooked on it. It changed his personality. It spiled a lot of things out. I actually, you know, I, for anybody who knew the relationship my father and I had at the end of our lives, you know, they have a hard time when I say, I, I didn't talk to him for five years. Like if I walked down the street, the street in Boston and he was walking towards me, I would go down the alley. I would take a turn. I wouldn't even speak to him because the, the prescription drug addiction and his drinking, and he drank too, but you know, he was, he was told it was okay. His doctor right. told him it was not a problem. Right. And so, yes, you chose a decision based on an authority figure who you trusted and you have to take the responsibility of where it led you, but putting you on that path, that doctor has to take the responsibility. Right, right saying things that were not true and not fully informing you of the seriousness or the potential threat of what's, what, what, what's considered one of the most 
you know, addictive prescription pills out there. Right. And at the end of his life, when he was having issues and I was on the other side of the country, I came home and guess what? The doctors had him on pain medication again and boom. And I had to get him off again because they were going to put him in a nursing home with dementia. And it wasn't dementia. It was pain medication misprescribed. Right. right. So, no, here's an accountability with the doctors and we have to oh. hold them. Right. And I, you know what? And I appreciate that because it, it's like, and that's how I, I don't want to be like, you know, I just want to own it at the same time. But, but the reality is too, yes, you're right. You're right. There's an accountability. Absolutely. Yep. Yeah. And there's a difference. I don't hear a victim here. And that's the important thing. You, you, you can't run around and be a victim and say, oh, it's all their fault. They made me do it. No, they didn't sit on your chest and throw them down. And they didn't, right. you know, there's a whole bunch of steps they weren't there for but there needs to be both accountability. I'm sorry, Elmer, you started to ask a question. Yeah, so you know the old saying, you know, you can lead a horse to water, but you can't make them drink. So what was it that finally you hit rock bottom and realized you needed to do something to change your life? Man, so it was getting bad. So I had this like, I, the last month of it was bad. Like I, was, I wasn't getting sleep, I, I, like to the point where, cause I had gotten to where I was being able to do drugs and, and live, go to bed at night. You know, I started binging and then I just started going down a dark hole. Well, my wife gives me a phone call. I didn't realize that I had left a pair of cargo shorts that had a syringe in the pocket. And my son was like 24 months old. It was in, in inside of the bathroom, lifted it up. And I guess the syringe fell out. My wife saw it. She calls me, tells me to come home, um, that we need to talk, you know? And uh, <laughs> she was like, I just can't do this no more. You're killing yourself. And I was already at the point where I wanted to give up. I wanted to quit bad. I, I was so tired of doing this. I was so sick and tired of being sick and tired, you know? And um, she gave me an ultimatum. She was like, look, dude, try this pot, get off of it. I know, I know you're scared. Smoke this pot, get off of it and go to N.A. Go get go go to a program. Do something. Actually, she uh she tried to get me into a program. She tried to sign me up for uh, but there was no beds. And then she's like, well, then you got to go to an NA meeting, right? You got to go to a, it, something, and start going to meetings. And I was like, all right. We checked. There was a meeting down the street, and I went to a meeting that night. Literally went to a meeting that night, and uh, that that was it. I mean, hurt my son. Grabbed like. Dude, he could, if she wasn't there, he could have pulled the tip off and stuck himself and been dead. You know what I'm saying? It's just like, like how stupid, like I'd gotten to that point where I wasn't sleeping. I was up, I was tripping, I wasn't thinking and, and I could have lost my baby, you know? And she was done, that was it. That was the ultimatum. So I'm not gonna let you kill yourself in front of my babies. I'm not, I'm not. And she's like, why don't you do music? Let me help you do your music. And I was like, well, she's like, get clean and then try, you know? And I ended up getting an NA sponsor uh, a month into it that used to have a record label when he was in high school. His name's Cornfed, right? It's Jared, he was my sponsor. I know I'm breaking anonymity right now, but he knows and we have an agreement. <laughs> um, he, uh, he's like, man, I know the studio in Santa Cruz, man. And I had written this song about heroin called Disease. And it sounds like a love song, but I'm singing the heroin. And he goes, uh, let's let's go to Santa Cruz. I'm gonna I'm gonna pay for the studio, cover everything, let's do music. And I didn't want to go when he came. I don't want to go. Fighting with my girl made a big old problem so that I couldn't go. 
caused an issue just so I wouldn't go, right? Scared, scared. And he was like, nope, nope, I'll drag you and put you in the truck. Go to sleep in the truck. You don't feel good, you're tired, get sleep in the truck. We're going. I don't got no money. Oh, I'll pay for everything. And uh, we did it. I made uh, Disease and World on My Shoulders was the other song. And that's what I was going through. I was dealing with my disease and I felt as though the world was on my shoulders. Um, but that don't go away. I still feel that way today, you know? Um, but I took that on. I, I as getting clean and, and, and coming into all of that, I realized that my journey was to help others. And when I did help others, it made me feel whole and it made me feel right, you know? And learning to love myself for real first. And that took a while, it took a long time. I'd say I haven't been where I need to be until just now, just this last year, you know, and a lot through COVID y'all, through COVID and I've grown incredibly. Um, I was 169 pounds before COVID started. And um, I still had addict ways in my head, you know, I wasn't using, but just the addict mentality and, and, and just not eating right, not taking care of myself. Or I would eat cereal. I'm skinny. I tell everybody, so I'm a rock and roller. It doesn't matter. I'm not doing drugs. My boys would be like, dang, dude, but you don't look healthy. What do you eat? And I'd be like, cereal, bro, because I don't like meat. So I'm like, I'm vegan. They're like, no, bro, you're not a vegan. You just don't eat at all. You eat cereal. Bro, you don't look right. And then a fan told me, and this is right before COVID, and uh, I started working out. I started eating vegetables and I started eating, you know, fruit. And I, I, um, I'm 207 now from 169 to 207. I'm healthier than I've ever been in my life. Then the fans started getting excited, y'all. They started getting motivated. They're showing me, sending me videos, DMs of them doing push-ups. you know, them, you know, and that's the thing is it's, it's even bigger than the music y'all. It's that I was like, wow, I'm inspiring them through my, you know, uh, 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 and I'm not advertising, it's just self-promoting it. You know, it's attraction, not promotion, remember? There we go. It's attraction, not promotion. And um, now I'm, man, I'm, I'm, I'm living my dream. But at the same time I deal with life, I called Rain earlier, you know, um, my daughter was diagnosed with autism and they said it was Asperger's high function. And um, she had a lot of trouble in school in her first years. And um, she, um, she hasn't had one in a long time, but she's kind of like grown out of it. I felt like she's brilliant. She's so freaking intelligent. I don't know if they just got a diagnosed wrong. The girl's a freaking genius, but she's very sensitive. She's very like touches the way things feel. She'll like make crazy screams. Like if she feels something that feels weird, she'll like make a weird noise, you know? And um, that's just her thing. Well, then she get her grandma going and they just started arguing and then she had a breakdown, a meltdown. And when she has a meltdown it it's so emotionally draining everybody's crying because she'll scream and it's like nothing's even not it doesn't even matter it's just because she's not she just goes and that's why i decided to talk with y'all because i know the profession and the things that y'all work in and healing and i've uh i've been wanting to take her to the tribe to my medicine man and we just had because of covid we haven't really gone because she did this six months ago. Today, she did it right before this, y'all. And I was crying. I even called Rain, wasn't crying. And then I heard her voice. And for some reason, it made me want to cry. <laughs> I've had know. that experience with Rain before. <laughs> <laughs> Your but turn, Elmer. You know what I mean? It's real life. And that's what she said to me. And that meant a lot. And I need folks 
to know that I know there's other parents that got babies like her too. And you just, it's so hard because it's just a learning thing. And I think it's, there's all in it. And, and her and I talked it out this time when she really stopped screaming because she'll scream. She don't want no one near her. Don't be near her. If you even walk close to her, she will blood curdling screams. And let me tell you, this girl could break glass. She will be one of the greatest songwriters and singers of all time. I promise you one day. This girl's pipes are just ridiculous. So we got to leave her alone. But it breaks my freaking heart, y'all. Well, Seeing my baby like, oof. So there's, there's, a, there's a couple of things here. And um, I know Rain had some questions for you. But I definitely want to follow up on this just a little bit. Because one of my specialties, and I have several books out on ADD and ADHD, I've dealt with children for years with a number wow. of different traditionally diagnosed issues. And I look at it very differently. And if this child, what, what is, so first of all, I just would like a first name. So I'm not calling her this child like she yes, is. Madeline. 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 And we all call her Boogie. She don't even like to be called Madeline. She likes to be called Boogie. Boogie, okay. So, <laughs> you know, if Boogie is one of these children, which I suspect that she might be, who is, as you say, ultra sensitive, and she's feeling the energy and the vibrations of things going on. She's taking information in that she's not been given language to know how to express. And she has these energies that she doesn't know how to deal with or how to work with, um, how to protect herself from, how not to get overwhelmed. And so if there's a lot of other energies going on, in, in her immediate space or even in a greater space, depending on what her sensitivity is. Um, you know, I suspect that we would find this child is probably very psychic, very in tuned, you know, this kind of brilliance, this kind of way of being in the world. But it, she may be at times screaming out somebody else's pain for them. Oh. And what? so she picks this up She's got to do something with it. It's not her. She doesn't know what to do with it. She needs to scream it out because, because she's trying to let it go. She doesn't want anyone near her. She doesn't, she doesn't want to take anything else in. She actually, her screaming creates a kind of energy field around her that gives her the distance to refine grounding and center. And instead of calming her down or going to try to comfort her, you need to be going, Boogie, let it go. Let it go, honey, let it all go out. Sing out, Boogie, sing out. Whatever it is, when you're done, I'm here. I love you no matter what. And, and let her kind of get it out. She's trying to, she's getting information on multiple levels that she does not know how to deal with or process. And I, I, I feel that so much because I, I tell her, I feel, baby, you have special powers. I tell her, daddy don't even understand them all the way, but I know you do. Because there was, stu there was stuff with me as a kid. She's so much like me. She's so much like me, you know? Um, not that I'm not on that level. Like she's something way, she, she makes, I don't even, can't even explain. It's like you says, like she's so, she writes songs they just, she just, they just come to her. She'll sit and rock on the couch. She's going a hundred miles an hour. And then she just starts singing. Yep. And it, 
she's just wired into lots of different places over time. And if you get the right people that understand what's going on and can work, work with her, work with you on the best way to support her, like, you know, I like when I work with a, a family, when I work with a child that has these kind of um, gifts and with the gifts comes the challenges. I mean, all my books are start out with managing the gift. I'm going to get all your books when we get offline. <laughs> Manage, you know, and so, but as you do this, it's, it's understanding that the gift came with the curse because we have a, such a rigid, inflexible way and box that kids are put into that's not healthy for any child, but these children are out there and they're, uh, they're uh, not born to fit in, they're born to stand out, they're here to change the world, they're here to cry foul, they're here to make a difference, but until they can be explained and things. I, I always remember, I had a reporter once that referred to me as having the owner's manual for the ADD brain. Wow. You know, and so it's that understanding as that compassion and being safe. I, I, even just saying, I'm here, tell me what you need. If you don't know and I don't know, that's okay. We'll figure it out. It's no big deal. Boogie, baby, honey, you, you love me. I love you. And it's a shit show. Go ahead let it out yeah don't try to don't try in any way to push it back in because it's only going to make it more painful and you're not doing anything wrong when you're keeping a distance that's what she needs right she needs not to have anybody else's energy mucking up the pond right until she's ready until she's got a handle on it does that make sense no, absolutely. Absolutely. And it, it now I feel a lot better because at first it's like I'm watching her like that. It just breaks my heart. I'm like, I just want to love her. I just want to hold you. You know what I'm saying? And it's such a, but that makes so much sense because even with her brother, when her brother will upset her, she'll go ah, and just scream at him even. Like she'll get upset. And it's like, like you're saying to like, it's like a, like a, yeah. Yep. That yep. energy. And, and it's a, it's a sound like I've never, the, heard that the frequency even yep so i've got one other question for you and then i'm going to turn it to ranks i know she had questions and i get accused of talking too much on the show so um <laughs> is uh, uh you said that your second song was what you said carrying the weight of the world world on my shoulders okay so step back from the camera a little bit Okay, yeah. Well, that's how you get shoulders like that, honey, by carrying the world. Stop complaining. Rain, you had Thank a question? You. Thank you. I um, actually, um, they weren't so much questions because when I thought of bringing Silver Junkie on, I instantly knew that, you know, I knew about his daughter. I knew that you would be able to connect, you know, off, off screen and you know, maybe do some work in there. But I also thought, you know, people like, like you said, people like to label stuff. And when you don't have a label, you, it's hard to express yourself because even we all as people, we get too much emotion and caring other people's stuff, but we cannot freely say it to each other. So we go home and, you know, we fight with our spouse or something sets us off because you can't take 
on all the world's problems. It right. is too much. I wish I could just scream at the top of my lungs of work, but then I'm not, you know, I don't have any autism or any of that stuff. They'll just think I'm crazy. It's not because all these people are putting in all this information. There's COVID and there's put your mask on. And then this problem has, a, this person has a problem. Somebody else has a problem. Right, right. And they're all in the pool with you. And when you get home, that's the only place where you can go and go off. But usually it's because your family's there and they're like, okay, just stay away from her. She's having one of those days. It's sad. And I knew Dr. Kevin would be able to actually bring that to light and bring some peace into it. I mean, but by the same token, you know, talk, I don't know if you've seen Loving Martin, which is how Elmer and I met. He was like the producer, director, and everything for the film, which is one like a million awards so far in the last year but it made me look at oh it made me look at life and love all over again because i come from a pretty jacked up background and it was the same thing it's just too much coming on but you're taught to keep it inside you know and you're taught you know and for me it was like you don't cry you know only sissies cry you keep that to yourself and you bottle all of this stuff inside of you and they wonder why people have aneurysms and breakdowns and they go right. out and do berserk things the pressure it's like a pressure cooker it's on there right. and we don't get the permission to let it go but with all of that being said elmer's um his you know loving martin that really is the reason we're here because once i did that film and i watched it a couple of times i mean i'm in it but i still watched it and i thought we don't have enough of this right now there are people out there who are dealing with autistic children or autistic adults there are people out there who are dealing with their feelings or they're dealing with addictions and weight right. and whatnot and it's never in a positive light and once i talked to elmer and he he's like yeah maybe we can do a podcast and he brought Dr. Kevin on because I didn't know Dr. Kevin. And this to me is what it's all about. It's connecting people who need people. And even if nobody ever watches this episode, which I know that's not true because I have people on here waving and telling me they've joined and saying good show and they liked your new CD and you have your shirt on and all these other comments that they're sending me, <laughs> which is fine. But that's, that's what it's for. For me, right. I mean, Elmer, what's your take on it? Um, you He'd like to shirt it off. I, I know <laughs> Elmer. Go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> okay, besides that part. It's, uh, you said it, you said it really well. Yeah, I mean, you know, Rain was talking about the fact that, you know, we, in 20, 2019, when we started talking about this before COVID even hit, that we were, you know, people weren't having the, the, the chance to come home and just vent to people or, or to have the water cooler conversation where you bitch about your boss, but in a way of like, I just need to vent and you're over it. You know, now it's like bitch about your boss and you want really want to kill him and you go home and take it out on your dog. You know, it's like people aren't getting that release. Not. And so that's what she talked about is like having a place or the friendship she had in the movie, you know, where she was uh, helping the, the main character and just, you know, how that's missing in life. And so she, you know, had the idea of bringing up this podcast and, you know, uh, trying to get that back out into the world, give please, you know, people a chance to, 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 you know, laughing, loving, and alive. Just, you know, just get back to our roots. And then COVID hit, and then just became even more important after that. And right. the political realm we're in, and everything. So, you know. So I have uh, two two comments. I I 
take my own advice I give my clients, which is I wrote them down so that I didn't interrupt anybody and I didn't lose them. Um, always I love you. Um, so the first thing is, is we talked about a label and I do want to make a clarification and this is so important because like um, Bougie, it's not Bougie, it's Boogie. Boogie. Like, I want to call boogie, it Bougie. Boogie, boogie, UK, yeah. boogie, boogie, but boogie so boogie but you know she's already got some labels and i right. you know with all the work i've done labels are so dangerous uh, in so many ways um and so i try to work with people to say skip the label and let's go to an identifier things that identify that give you a place to start a conversation with because a label gives you a box they shove you into. Mm -hmm. And so I always talk about identifiers. When somebody starts right. picking around like the ADD, ADHD label, I go, well, I don't use it as a label. I use it as an identifier. When I look at somebody and I identify they have ADD, it tells me they're brilliant. It tells me they think outside the box. It tells me they're a natural born rebel. It tells me that they're <laughs> going to have problems in society because they're going to say to society, really? Yeah. Uh, yeah, it tells me some so stuff that identifies a baseline I can build from. A box always puts you, cuts you off anything that doesn't fit into that label. So I wanted to share that. I also wanted to share something about one of my favorite people who has, you know, passed on uh, a man named Leo Biscaglia. And if you've never looked at any of Leo's work, you should. It's still available. Uh, he wrote a book on, called Love. He taught a class in 1972 at University of California uh, called Love 101. He got permission to teach it because he said that these students coming in knew nothing about love because all of the broken homes and all, this is back in the 70s, he was teaching that. But I always remember what he said about crazy. I, I always held on to this. He always said, I love it when he, people call me crazy because it gives me a wide latitude of behaviors I can get away with. Oh, wow, that's so yes. cool. And, oh, yes. and that's what you want to own. And I know there are people out there that oftentimes go, well, that's that's just Dr. Kevin. And it's like, yep, you bet, you bet. Uh-huh, uh-huh. So <laughs> just like that's, that's the sober junkie. So tell me a little bit about, because we're gonna run out of time if we're not careful. Um, right. Can you tell me a little bit more about like the, the music? You have the two songs, okay. you have a lot of songs out now. Do you play an instrument? Are these just all you're singing? Can, can you give me, a, give me a little more to go with here? I got you. So what I do is, is I do play guitar, but I don't play on stage. I just use it as a writing tool. Um, I'm more of a, I'm the lead singer. Uh, I have a band, I got a drummer, I got a bass player and I got a guitar player myself. And I have a DJ that plays backing tracks. So it's more of a full set. Um, it's rock and soul. I sing about life. I sing about what I've been through. Um, it goes from that Cali reggae vibe to super deep soul, to blues, to country, to outlaw blues, to it just kind of all over the board, you know? Um, but the one thing that stays all the time is I, I sing stories. I tell stories of my own and I tell stories of people close to me. Um, I feel like that's what I'm here, you know, supposed to do. That these are those songs you could throw on and get through something to, or maybe find that answer to a question you had and you didn't even know you needed. Who are, your, 
who are your inspirations? Because there are some phenomenal, and when you what you talk about, you talk about maybe the musical beat or instruments you use to back them up, but you say all of that, and all I think of is folk. Mm-hmm. It's, it, 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 it's a good old-fashioned, I'm going to tell you a story, and you're going to, it's going to change your life. Right. Comes from my heart, and, you know, hopefully you'll get the blood stains out when you, you know, like, put my album down, because <laughs> you're like, oh! Right. Well, it's, you not, know, it's not tacky country, it's folk. So That part, there you go, right there. And I'm a Johnny Cash, I love Waylon. I, you know what I mean? And, and, but at the same time, I, I, I love a lot of Motown, you know what I'm saying? And, and, uh, who is that I just started listening to? Chet, um, Chet Aiken? Gosh, brilliant. Yeah. Chet Aiken. Dude. Yeah. yeah. And, and it's lately I've been trying to kind of explore different things and I like to go back. I like to go back and I feel like it kind of comes out, you know, I read a book called Steal Like an Artist. And I don't remember who wrote it. But if y'all can look it up, it's called Feel Like an Artist. And it's because, you know, as creatives, we're supposed to read as many books as we can, take as many hikes as we can, you know, see as many sunsets and sunrises as we can, say hello to as many people as we can, right? And what that does is all that stuff comes in, those books, all that music, and we refilter it. And it's not that we steal it and, and remake someone's song, but pieces will come together that didn't go together and will make new pieces and it just recycles. So I'm big on that. You know, that's what you're saying with the books. I just started getting back into reading again. I, since I, I, this will have to talk next time when we get on, because when I was in my wild time, I was, the addiction led me to go into prison y'all. And I found myself in prison and I went and had to go to the secured housing unit and it was for drug. It was for having drugs on me. And I tried to run away from the police and got a high speed and a bunch of other stuff. And all drug induced because of the addiction. But I, I started reading and I started learning a lot about myself in there. You know, and I use it as I made best of it. It was horrible. It was, it was sad. It was depressing. But I said, you know what? Even in there, I worked out and I read. And I tried to just, you know, enlighten myself as much as I could. So when I got out, I never had to go back. So there's a there's a human condition, um, which is we always need to be in love with something. In love is the most powerful drug that humans ever experience. So we fall in love with people, we fall in love with experience, we fall in love with singers, we fall in love with books, but we always are always seeking to have the in love chemicals flowing through our body. It's the way in which we are all the biggest addicts. Um, that this is this is what it means to be human. We describe it as being fully alive. That, and you said something at the beginning that I wanted to go back to. You said you wrote this song, and it sounded like it was a love affair, but it was to. Yes, that was disease. That was disease. And and another thing I was going to say, and those are the first songs. Sacred Land is the album that's out now. Okay. And the website is SoberJunkieOfficial.com. And we're only releasing the album through the website because we're trying to take control back. Yeah. As musicians, we're trying to take control back. I'm going to put it out on all the platforms eventually, but I want it to just be for my platform. I'm also working on an album 
Indian outlaw. Um, my brothers and sisters, most Native Americans, we don't say Indian, we say Indian, N-D-N, Indian. So I did the Indian outlaw, which you're gonna love because it's that folk <laughs> and I'm telling stories and it's just, you know, it's a, you know that, that, good, that good loving stuff. And then we actually have an album called Quarantined in Cannabis. I'm going out to Hawaii in October and we're pretty sure we're gonna get locked down quarantine for 14 days, but I'm going out with the band we're going to be on the property um, where Volcano Genetics is, my company, and I'll be staying with Dan, my business partner, and my other business partner, Ben, and we're going to stay quarantined and make an album. <laughs> yep, yep. So the one thing I wanted to point out, though, is when you had your breakup with the disease, when right. you had your breakup, the thing that allowed you to stay broken up was your ability to go through the process of falling in love with yourself, your creative process, with a vision and a mission that got you excited to give your children a better world than the world you got. Wow. Wow. I never thought of it like that. Yeah. Thank you. What was the deciding factor? You could have hurt your child. Not that your wife threatened to leave you, that you could have hurt your child. And at that point, you found a greater love. Wow. And you still didn't work, and you still backed away, and you still had your funny dance but you stuck with the process because you finally could hook into the love. And so often, you know, addiction in of itself just is gonna show up. And if it's not alcohol, it's cigarettes. And if it's not alcohol or cigarettes, it's the coffee. I always say, AA only trades out alcohol for cigarettes and coffee. Uh, right. You know, I mean, they just, they don't ever get to the core of the addictive part of it, yeah. they. they only get, to the we're gonna get you to an addiction that's less destructive it's still destructive right right yep yep um you know but you know it's a lesser of two evils well you know what i kind of like the world that has like no evils yeah and i don't want to have the lesser of two evils i i want to have a life that i feel like you know not today, Satan. Tomorrow ain't looking good for you either. <laughs> yeah, straight up. Or next week or the week We're after We're all that. saying that, huh? Right? So we talked about <clears throat> jokes at the beginning of the show and laughing. So um, what, in this past week, what's something that made you laugh? Man, you got that camel joke at first. You got <laughs> and my daughter, too. My daughter was rolling. And I was like, you like that, huh? <laughs> I was like, yeah, she was filming it, my eldest, Mallory. She was like, I like that. The camel got me, though. <laughs> I was like, baby. Oh, boy, there's some work to do. <laughs> Children have the best sense of humor because sometimes we don't laugh at, at stupid things or we try to stop laughing at stupid things because we're afraid it makes us look stupid, where kids are like, I don't care. That was funny. <laughs> And they laugh. 
Yeah, this is true. But you this know, I true. laugh at everything. I've always been told it's not funny. I don't care. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> okay. So we're coming up with three minutes left. Just so do you have a last All right. Question? Okay, Rain, do you have a last question? You asked the what made you laugh question. Rain, do you have a last question for our guest tonight? Yeah, when are you going back in the studio? You're supposed to be inviting me. You're acting like Elmer. <laughs> I got you. You know what? I'll actually give you a call tomorrow. I'm going to be back in the studio this week. All right, I'm going to slide and, and by. Fact, I'm going to call your husband and see if he can come as well. That'd be awesome. Yeah, that'll be let, that, let me know. That's all I need to know. Yes, this is, you yep. all know, the shameless baby for me, always. It's music, baby. We All right, Elma, your turn. So, oh, I had a question. I already asked him about the love question. But uh, so, Rain, we're, our next show is Sunday, September 27th. And who was our guest? Ty Barnett. And this dude is a comedian with um, another one of those set of stories, pain, art imitating life, and life imitating art. Got him on uh, Comedy Central. Dope. Nice. Yeah, yeah Rain's. Yeah, Rain's we're getting there. Getting us guests and getting the promotion out there. She's she's really made this show. You know, we we Dr. Kevin brings the content. I'm just the guy behind the scenes, and Rain really puts the show out there and gets us the great guests. No, this is dope though. You guys got something really good. I really <laughs> like it. I had a really good time, and it went by super freaking fast. Hey. Yeah. And I still get nervous too. I don't know why. I don't get nervous on a stage with freaking eight thousand people, but whenever I do, like. A podcast, I get so nervous. Like I, that was like, it's so funny until I start talking. Up until I talk, I'm like, oh man, oh man. Okay. And it's so cool because I hope that never goes away. I love it. So eight thousand people is a big blob that's somewhat anonymous, yep. and one person, two people, or three people are yeah. a connection in which you could look in their eyes. Oh, shit, that didn't land. That didn't work. That <laughs> no, the screen, the screen paused. It's all right. It's eight o'clock. We can talk off screen for a couple of minutes because that's who we are. <laughs>